Welcome to the 431st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Michael Webb, author of the novel The Last Shadow Night. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Webb, author of the novel The Last Shadow Night. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your novel yet, how would you describe The Last Shadow Night? Amazing. <laughs> no, it's, The Last Shadow Night is a, it's a young adult fantasy novel. And I say young adults because I found that a lot of middle grade and high school age people really enjoy it, although I wrote it for an adult fantasy novel. But I found that the content, the appropriateness level is very conducive to that young adult or adult category. It's not high fantasy in terms of wizards and elves and heavy magic and dragons and stuff, but it's it's more low fantasy, but it's realistic, kind of a medieval setting. The main character, Varen, he's uh, he start, he's 13 at the beginning of the story. He's growing up on the streets, begging and stealing, basically just struggling to survive. He meets this guy who is the last of a secret group called the Shadow Knights. And it's this group that people have heard of, they hear rumors about, they're not sure if it's actually real, but they're supposed to be able to do these amazing things. So Varen begins to train and learn the ways of the Shadow Knights. So there's basically two story arcs that are going on here. The overarching story is about uh, there's an enemy who is trying to take over the four kingdoms of this land. And the Shadow Knights are destined to be the ones who are able to stop him. So Varen is working through and training, preparing for this inevitable conflict. Then the other story is, it's the smaller version. It's Varen basically fighting to survive in this city. The, The people he meets, the obstacles he faces, as he's trying to rise above where he began as this kid living on the streets, scraping for every meal. There's also two other main characters. There's Brixton and Chelsea. They're similar ages, uh, and their stories run in parallel, but intersect often at times. And these three different characters are meant to explore the concept of where is some, what situation is someone born into, and then what do the people in their lives, the influences that they have, how do those factors form the person into what they become? So overall, The Last Shadow Knight is filled with Sword fighting, plot twists, intrigue, betrayal, people you cheer for, people you hate. It's easy to read, great for all ages. Uh, I think everyone should pick up a copy. And it's free on Kindle Unlimited. Great. What was your writing journey that led you to writing and publishing The Last Shadow Knight? I kind of I had a couple friends who wrote books a while ago and I thought that was such a cool idea. It had not crossed my mind, but I'm the type of person who if, if I get in my head of something that I want to do, I'm very goal-driven. Uh, several years ago, I got in my mind to run a marathon, but I'd never run a race of any length. And so I found a date and picked a race and trained for it and ran it. And it was great. So my book experience was very similar. I decided I wanted to write a novel, not writing short stories or something small, but I wanted to write a full-length fantasy novel, publish it, put it out there. But when I started, I my vision was much smaller. It was, I'll write something. I'll make a cool story. I'm sure a couple of friends and family will want to copy and that'll be it. But as I got into writing, I didn't just want to create a story. I wanted a good story. And I decided that if I'm going to put this much work into crafting something and building it, then I want to take that extra time to 
to edit it and proofread it and, and go through revision after revision. And as I went along, I got excited because it got better and better. And I started to realize that I've got something here, I think. But when I first started, it was funny because I'd never written a word of creative writing in my life before a year and a half ago. It just wasn't, it wasn't something I was interested in. But when I started, I wanted to figure out if I could do it. Because if I'm going to put down 500 pages of a story, is it going to be awful? So I started with just one chapter. I spent a couple of days, wrote it out, had an idea of where I wanted the story to go. And I went back and read it and I decided it wasn't awful. <laughs> so in retrospect, I think it probably was <laughs> now that I've learned a ton since then and revised it a hundred times. But that was enough for me to get me hooked. Uh, I was excited. I loved the process and built it from there. But that's where I started. And so with that process that you just mentioned, it sounds like you jumped into the story and just saw where it took you. Is that accurate? Yeah. And and coming up with the idea for it, it, I started with thinking through what are aspects of a story that, that I enjoy. So I thought through books that I like or movies that I like and tried to pinpoint moments in them that really got me excited that I was smiling as I was reading or I couldn't put the book down in the way of Kings where Kaladin is training with the bridge fours team and just how he's taking them from where they are at the beginning to, I'm not going to, don't want to spoil for anyone who hasn't read it, but just that process that he goes through. And I'm just so on the edge of my seat through the whole thing or um, in the name of the wind where quoth is interviewing to get into the, the university and how exciting and, and that scene makes me feel So I thought through what are these scenes that I love about stories and what did I enjoy about them? Not what was the scene, but what did I enjoy about them? And I I wrote down a list of six to 10 different ideas of things that I enjoyed about books. And then ironically, I came up with the name The Last Shadow Knight before I actually wrote the story. I don't think that's typical, but I liked the name. And then I thought, what would a story around that look like? And I took my list of six to 10 different story aspects and tried to start fitting in, where would that fit in with this story that I'm trying to create? And then as time, I built it out from there to make sure as my story went along that I'm getting to these key moments. And maybe it's a a big character development piece or a plot twist or just an exciting moment. And I make sure to hit those moments as I built through the story. And so what was your decision process to decide to self-publish as opposed to trying to get the novel published by a traditional publisher? It's basically related to the amount of patience I have because <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked into it and I realized that in order to publish with a traditional publisher, I'm going to have to resign myself to writing something that I spend a ton of time and effort in and then wait for years. And most likely to have nothing come of it after those years. And I, I didn't have enough patience to deal with that. I when, when I was done with my book, I wanted to get it out there. I was excited for people to read it. And especially as I researched a lot more, I found that it's so accessible now that anyone can put words on a page and publish a book. To do it well, it takes a lot of work. But I didn't want to wait. Uh, it was that impatience that, that I needed to, I wanted to pursue 
publishing it myself rather than waiting to potentially go elsewhere. And I'm not doing this to make money. I'm not doing it to be famous. It's fun. And I'm excited to be writing more. I definitely want to continue doing this, but I'm happy even if the self-publishing is a little bit more difficult, I have to do some of that extra stuff. I don't mind doing those things myself. Sure. And what has the response been so far? With the book itself? Yeah, with the book itself. It has absolutely blown me away because <laughs> I, I always enjoyed the story as I was writing it. And then at first I share it with a few friends and family. And of course they like it because they're friends and family. But what I've really loved is over the last couple months, I've started to reach out and get other people I have no connection to whatsoever who would read it and review it. Or since it's launched, I've had people read it and I see reviews on Goodreads or on Amazon come up and I'm just beaming because someone I have no clue who they are or how they found out about the book. They read it and they post a five-star glowing review about how much they loved it and how they couldn't, can't wait for book two to come out. And I just, it's blown me away, the response that I've seen from the people I know, but especially from the people I don't know. It's really got me excited. Originally, I was hoping to take a little time off after writing The Last Shadow Night before I started on book two. I'm planning a trilogy out of the series. But the, the response that I've gotten, I, I feel this, I owe it to my readers now. Uh, these people are clamoring for book two. I'm working on it. I'm getting back on, starting in the mornings, uh, writing. Actually, next week, I've got a writer's retreat. I'm getting away for a few days. I feel a little bit of pressure. Now that I put it out there, I've got I got some fans I need to uh, please. Well, for a self-published author, what would you say are some of the most important steps for turning a rough draft into a final draft that's good. I have definitely learned a ton over the last 18 months that I wish I had someone to talk me through the process. And I had some of it I learned the hard way, but I, I kind of, I see it in a few different ways. First off, a main, a big problem I see with a lot of self-published people is uh, a book cover. People say you need a book cover if you want to get attention. And that's one of my pet peeves. I hate cheesy book covers. And when you look across the industry of self-published authors, you find a lot of honestly pretty bad book covers. And myself, I probably won't pick up a book if I don't like the cover. I'm definitely not going to recommend it or share it with others if, if I'm embarrassed to see or for them to see what that cover is. So put a little investment into making something that, that you're really proud of. The next thing is if you can get a good cover that's going to draw attention you need to spend time on your blurb on the back of the book because that's what's going to help them decide whether to buy it or not. I didn't realize that important at first, that, how important that was at first. I put a blurb together and I thought, yeah, that sounds good. And then I, I got some feedback from people and they gave me a lot of good advice. Yeah, it's okay, but it, I don't really feel gripped by it. And so I started to reach out more and more. I revised it probably 30 different times and finally got to something that was, it's compelling. It's exciting. It makes you want to read. It gives you a little tease about what's unique about the book. But once you make, once it makes you want to pick up the book to find out what happens. So those I feel are, are the first two and they're key. And that's going to get someone to your book. But the biggest part I feel is you've got to have good content. And I've read some self-published books that I don't like. And the content seems sloppy and lazy and the story is not well polished. And I would have been there myself. But the biggest thing I learned was you need help. You need someone to read what you have and be honest with you, 
to tell you what's bad, tell you what's not working. I, as I mentioned earlier, I had this, I'm impatient with my book. I I wanted to write it and I wanted to publish it. And I didn't want to take all these steps in the middle. And I, I, luckily I did. I spent a lot of time working with alpha readers and beta readers. The alpha readers being earlier in the process when it's rougher, beta readers being near the end when it's nearly the final story. And that blew me away as far as educating me on writing, as well as what people are looking for when they're reading. I found that the they would read my book and they would point out plot holes or character issues with their motivation or parts that were boring or parts that were just poorly written. And, and they'd point them out. And once they show me, it's these glaring things that how did I not see this when I wrote it myself or the other 20 times I've already read that section? But once they point it out, it's so easy to see and I'd change it. And so I'd, I'd do a revision and then I'd send it out for more people to review. And then I get more glaring issues back and then I'd send it out for more to review after I revise and revise. And in addition to these alpha and beta readers who are They're not professional editors, but many of them were writers themselves. So I learned so much through that. But I also worked with editors. I had a developmental editor who uh, helped me with the structure and the plot and the characters. That was huge. And then a copy editor, which, you know, by the time I got there, I thought, surely I've got all the spelling, all the grammar right, all the commas and quotations. No, there were like thousands of corrections <laughs> once I got to that point. So you need these help, this help, especially if you are a self-published writer, because no one's going to force you to take those steps. If you're going through a traditional publisher, there's professionals that are going to make sure that happens before it goes to print. You have to make sure that's happening for your own book that you're going to publish. In addition to that, I Who worked a lot with- the developmental editor that you worked with, if you don't mind my asking? Her name is Katie Andrews. It's actually someone I know. I live gotcha. in Georgia, mm-hmm. someone I know locally here, and she went to school for it. She has done some other editing for people. She did a fantastic job. I, I was extremely thankful for the work, not just on helping construct the story, but teaching me about writing. And I, I laugh with her because at the beginning, she was probably- a little impatient with me of, okay, he really doesn't know what he's doing here. You know, that's the first time through. And then I'd read her, you know, her notes and yeah, I've got to, I've got to start over. Um, so I'm revising back from the beginning because of all this stuff that I've learned, rewriting it over again. And it, it was really rewarding because she got a copy of the final book just recently and reached out. She's like, wow. She could see the progress I made over the course of that time. And she was very impressed with where it ended up, but I owe a lot of that to her. That's great. But So I also did a lot of research into books uh, and podcasts. On Writing by Stephen King was very helpful for me. I read a book called Plot and Structure, just in, in constructing stories. Probably my favorite thing I watched was Brandon Sanderson has on his YouTube channel this, I think it's an eight video series of he teaches a creative writing for science fiction and fantasy class at Brigham Young University. And every lecture is posted on YouTube. And as a new writer, this was gold to me. I, I, watched, I listened to every one of them and uh, learned so much through that process. By the way, he is my favorite author. So that was very helpful to be able to, to learn from him, get so many new ideas from that. So yeah, that getting help, that, that's probably the biggest thing that I would encourage self-published writers. Don't do it on, on your own. Get people to help you with it because that's going to teach you about writing and help make sure that you do those steps of getting your book into something that's actually quality. The 
the last piece is you can do all that work. You can have a great cover, a great blurb, great content, but people aren't going to stumble across it. You're not going to post it on Amazon and someone happens to, oh, that looks fun. Let me buy that. That sounds great, but that just doesn't happen. So you need a marketing plan. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. You need some way to get the word out. And this, I did a bunch of research, over, especially over the last four to six months. And I'm no expert in this area, but I've had some big wins. Some of the things I've done, I've really tried to build up a social media presence uh, on Instagram, which is where I am mostly. I brought my, I have a Michael Webb novels Instagram page. I raised it from 65 uh, followers to 1,200 over the course of a month and a half. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Michael Webb novels, and just so I try to post a lot of pictures and updates and get a lot of buzz and uh, conversation going on there. Also, it was a great chance to reach out and get to know other author, authors, which is helpful. I built a launch team, which anyone looking for advice on launching a book that's that's pivotal, and I cannot emphasize that enough. Having just gone through it myself, I had a fantastic team of mostly friends and family, but they were all ones who were excited for me and ready to help support me. They read the book ahead of time, post a review when it comes out, share on their own social media pages, which was critical. Because if I have a a page with 500 friends on Facebook, but Mm -hmm. if I have 50 people who share to their pages who each have 500 friends on Facebook, the the visibility grows very quickly through that. So I worked on that a lot. I reached out to a lot of book reviewers. There are, I never knew this before, there are thousands of people out there that all they do is read books, review them, and put them online. And they have a lot of followers because people want to find good books and get recommendations. I reached out to a bunch of them and I've got a dozen or so different bloggers who have read the book and posted it and reviewed it. And I try to share those myself as I get ones that are just particularly glowing. Someone comes back and says that it's one of the best books they've read of 2021. And they've read 50 books already this year. And it's just so exciting to get that. But it's from someone who's completely unrelated and they're help spreading the word about your book. A couple other things I tried, I did a giveaway on Goodreads because I'm proud of my book and I think it's really good. And I put a hundred free copies of my ebook out there and I figured, all right, that's a hundred people to read it. And if they tell others that can lead to more sales down the road and get more reviews online. And we'll see how that turns out. I think it's gone pretty well so far. Then I also have a online book tour coming up. It's in June through Love Books Tours out of the UK. They get a whole bunch of readers and reviewers, basically different social media influencers that will read and review and post on their social media sites. Uh, just to get more visibility. That's a little bit about what I've done. I'm definitely no expert at it, but I I felt a lot of it's really worked. And I'm so glad I thought through a lot of those. I basically got advice from one place or another about doing those things. Because without it, I would have put it on Amazon and my friends and family would have (laughs) bought a few copies. And then 
sales are zero for the rest of the year. And right. You got to have some plan, not just for making the book good, but getting the word out. But it's been so much fun for me. That's I've really great. That. What fiction or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Right now, I'm reading through uh, The Rhythm of War, the Sanderson and the Stormlight Archive. I, I love that series. The Way of Kings is you know, one of my top favorite books of all times. I'm partway through The Wheel of Time, uh, which is very big, very long. I'm through five books of it, and I love it. It's just takes a lot of time to get through those. So I try to pace myself. Basically, I'm trying to stay ahead of the Amazon series, which I know is supposed to come out soon. So I just want to stay ahead in yeah. books of when those come out. The Rose and the Thorn, part of the Riaria Chronicles by Michael J. Sullivan. It's an awesome series. I just read that recently. I read my first Jim Butcher book, Stormfront. Really enjoyed him. Just a fun, easy read. Uh, urban fantasy type vibe. So yeah, I've enjoyed all those. I love reading. Actually, most recently, I've been reading a lot other self-published authors, ones that I have met through Instagram or other sites as I'm hoping that they will help support me. So as a return, I'm helping to support them as well. So that's been um, taking up a lot of my time recently. Are you working on a new novel now? Yes, I'm working on book two. It's yet to be titled, but in the Shadow Knights trilogy, I am about a third, almost a halfway through uh, book two. I am so pumped about where it's going. And I keep wanting to tell people, my wife and my son, they've both read the book and they keep pestering me. And every time I'm writing and they come by, I have to close my laptop so they don't look over my shoulder and see <laughs> the the outline I have or any of the, the plot that's coming up. I, I've thought of some other, I have a couple other book ideas that I'm, anxious to get to because I'm super excited about them. Just new, new series, new characters, totally new storyline, but in that same kind of fantasy slash young adult uh, genre. But I really want to finish the trilogy first because I'm not a full-time author, so it takes me a little bit longer and I don't want to leave people out waiting two, three, four years between books. Uh, I don't want the you know, uh, Name of the Wind, book three, uh, Doors of Stone. We've been waiting for however many years. And yeah. I don't want that to be the experience for my readers. So I want to finish up the trilogy first. And then uh, I got some other ideas I want to get into next. That's great. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and The Last Shadow Knight? MichaelWebNovels.com. That is my website. I've got information about my book posted there, ways you can contact me, get on my mailing list. Also on social media, I mentioned it earlier, but Michael Webb Novels on Instagram as well as Facebook. Instagram is my go-to. That's where I post most of my current things that are happening or what I've been into, what I'm reading, what I'm working on about my book, but any of those places you can find out more about me. Great. Again, we've been speaking with Michael Webb, author of the novel, The Last Shadow Knight. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Michael, thanks for doing this interview. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Now, stay tuned as Michael Webb reads from his novel, The Last Shadow Knight. Varen stood on the roof and looked at the city surrounding him. A collection of buildings in various shapes and heights jutted up unevenly. He imagined the streets and alleys below that flowed together like a collection of streams. Lanterns lit in the main streets gave Kairod a glow as if a muted serpent of fire snaked its way through the city's wealthy areas. Behind him, the bottoms, where he called home, was completely dark. What's the worst that could happen? Find asked. Seriously, Varen replied, looking at his friend. That's your pitch? Getting me to imagine the worst that could happen? Varen peered over the edge of the building at the long drop to the empty street below. The wind picked up and whipped his hair, causing him to feel unsteady. Come on, Finn said. This place will be the best we ever hit. 
You've seen all the fancy outfits he sells from his shop. You can't find fabric like he sells anywhere south of Split. He's got to be loaded. Plus, neither of us ate in days. You know you want this. As if on cue, Varen's stomach growled. He was hungry. He did want this. We'll watch our backs like we always do, Finn continued. If anything goes wrong, we get out of there. You remember the lender's office we hit after we ran away? Varen asked. Yeah, what about it? That was supposed to be the best ever, and we left there with nothing. That's because we had to run. Your shaggy hair stuck out from behind the wall and gave us away. Finn punched him on the arm. Look, Varen, you're 13 and aren't getting any younger. We can't count on people pitying us and giving handouts anymore. We need to take care of ourselves. A gust of wind sent a chill through Varen. His tattered clothing did little to keep him warm, especially during the frigid season of Wither. What if someone's there? he asked. I told you, no one's home. I saw the tailor and his family pack their wagon this morning. I even talked with the girl and asked her where they was going. She said they're heading down to Felting to buy supplies, fabric or something. Won't be back to Carad for three days. Varen surveyed the city again, trying to avoid deciding. Under every one of these rooftops is someone with money and food, Varen thought. I'm tired of being hungry. I'm sick of this city getting the best of me. He looked back to Fend and nodded. Okay, let's do it. Fend set down the sack of supplies he had been carrying and took out a metal wire. Hold my legs while I get the latch on the window, he said as he crouched at the edge. Varen sat on his legs, letting the older boy dangle upside down from the second-story roof. Got it, Finn whispered after a moment from over the edge. His hand appeared at the edge of the roof and Varen pulled him up. After looping a frayed piece of rope around a nearby chimney, Finn held onto it as he made his way over the edge feet first. Although he tried to appear confident, his breath quickened as his body lowered. Soon, he disappeared. Varen waited and listened. For several seconds, all he could hear was his heart beating and the sound of the wind. He tapped absently at the medallion hanging beneath his shirt as he strained his ear forward. Finally, a whisper confirmed it was his turn. Even though Finn made it look easy, and Varen had done it countless times before, he was still nervous. What if the rope breaks? What if I slip and fall? What if someone's in the house? Despite the fear, Varen grabbed the rope and worked his feet over the edge. When his foot rested on the wrought iron sign below, his nerves settled a bit, but only when he made it through the window and landed inside the building did he feel in control again. The two boys stood at the end of a short hall. A sliver of moonlight revealed one door frame on the right and two on the left. The staircase at the end would lead down to the shop below. Finn had his ear against the first door on the left, listening. So far, everything was silent. After a seemingly endless wait, Finn motioned for them to go. The first room was an office with a full bookcase and a desk. Varen rifled through the ledgers and papers, but nothing looked valuable. In the far corner, he spotted a chest and his heart raced. He tried to open it, but it didn't budge. A keyhole on the front stared at him, taunting him. With a grin on his face, Finn handed him a small pry bar and whispered, Your turn. Varen took the pry bar and worked on the chest, doing his best to be silent. The wood groaned as the chest fought back. The sound was quiet, but it felt like an alarm bell to him. 
Sweat beaded on his forehead from both the noise and the effort as he strained to open it. He was about to pass the bar to Fend when the lock broke with a loud crack. Varen froze, his ear strained for the slightest noise. The silence soon returned, and they each let out their breath. Varen's heart raced as he opened the chest, but his smile disappeared and shoulders slumped when he saw it was packed full of papers. Both boys rummaged through the stack of official-looking documents and maps. The scent of dried parchment clung to Varen's nose, the smell of disappointment and squandered hope. What a waste, Finn said as he threw a handful of papers down. Why would a tailor have so many documents locked away, Varen thought. Hoping for something more, he continued to dig through the chest until he found a velvet bag at the bottom. A clink sounded as he picked it up. Opening the bag, he emptied it into his hand. Coins. Six copper tid and four copper pinted. Whoa! Varen exclaimed, forgetting the need to be quiet. Finn looked over his shoulder. Nice! Varen had never held that much money in his life. We could live for almost a season on this. We could buy supplies, bread, fruit, meat even. Maybe we could get real beds and blankets. Not wanting to hang around any longer than necessary, he put the coins back in the bag and stuffed it in his pocket. Let's keep looking, Finn said. The next door down the hall creaked when opened to reveal a kitchen, including shelves with food. There wasn't a lot, but to the starving boys it was a feast. Varen's stomach growled as if calling out to it. Jackpot! Finn said. Both boys grabbed what they could, gorging on bread, salted pork, and carrots. They laughed at the unexpected bounty as they took turns shushing each other between bites. After their eating slowed, they stuffed their pockets with as much as they could carry. The pocket space ran out long before the food did. If they're going to be gone three days, why don't we take what we can then come back tomorrow and get more? Varen asked as he chewed on a tough piece of pork. Yeah, that's a great idea, Finn said with a grin. Let's get out of here. They went back into the hall and Varen grabbed the rope dangling outside the window. Finn remained in the hallway, standing by the remaining door. What you doing? Varen whispered. I want to see what's in here first. We can't carry anymore. Let's go. Finn eased the door open and Varen sighed as he let go of the rope and joined his friend. The room was dark, with the only bit of light coming in from the window. Shadows covered the floor from the outline of two beds. One bed was bare, and the other held a pile of blankets. A bookshelf stood at the end of the room, with what looked like two bronze candlesticks on top. Whoa, Finn said as the boys crossed the room. Those have to be worth a silver argent apiece. With one foot on the edge of the bed and the other on one of the shelves, Finn extended his arm, but the first candlestick was barely out of reach. What do you think you're doing? A deep, unfamiliar voice asked. Varen spun around and froze. A body stood behind them, a body shaped like a pile of blankets. Varen cursed himself for not being more careful when they came in. What are you doing? The bundle of blankets repeated with growing intensity. I I saw the tailor leave this morning. I thought the house was empty, Finn said with a wavering voice. The tailor, the other man said. His shop is next door. You thought you could take his stuff while he was out? Varen glared at Finn. You got the wrong house, he muttered. Before Varen could think of what to do, Finn yelled as he ran at the man and collided with his body square in the midsection, knocking him backward over the bed. 
Varen's heart raced as he and Finn ran for the stairs. Desks, books, papers, and files filled the shop below. We must be in the tax assessor's shop next to the tailor's. That explains the chest full of documents. Varen reached the door first, and his stomach dropped. Locked. He frantically looked around. They were trapped. He froze, unable to think as fear set in. His paralysis shattered along with the window as Finn threw a chair through it, spraying glass and splinters of wood into the street. Let's go, Finn said, motioning. The boys scurried through the broken window. Glass shards tugged at Varen's clothing, hands, and legs. He ignored the pain as they stumbled onto Market Street at the edge of Carad Square. Thieves! Stop them! Thieves! A voice shouted from above. Varen looked up. The tax assessor leaned out the upstairs window where their rope dangled limply. He pointed at them but looked across the square to where three soldiers stood staring back. Varen's heart sank as he recognized the tallest soldier, Captain Mortensen, the last man he wanted to see. The boys took off. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.